announcement last week about the upcoming, I think they are. Father, this morning we want to bring our grateful praise to you by way of television and those who may be listening by way of radio. As we proceed this morning, let us turn to our prayer of petition and intercession. And let us join in prayer together. As we proceed deeper into the Lenten season, teach us something of the vulnerability of love. We see how vulnerable Jesus was in his expression of love. We know how vulnerable you have been through the ages as you sought to reveal more of yourself to humanity and were met with rejection and hostility. Let us not be frightened in our love, but give us the courage to extend it even though we may be hurt. Amen. Father, this morning as we prepare for Holy Week and the Lenten season, we ask, O oh Lord, that you would um, move in our midst this morning. As we anticipate this holy, holy time, we look at the Cedar as a, according to Exodus 1 through 5, and in the, the fact of the redemption of, of Israel and the roasted animal bone and the egg, which represents mourning and the bitter herbs, which represent the crucible of, of your affliction. And the fruited, which represents the fruited mortar and the vegetables, O oh Lord, as we prepare the symbolism of, of this great event, we ask, O oh Lord, that you would speak to our hearts and make, may it be more real as we participate in the bread of affliction that just has the water and the flour. And the sixth item, the bitter herbs, that there was really no time for for the dough to rise and there's no time. And we, we pray that this, this um, Passover would be a real time of, of, of freedom, what it means to be um, that amazing, blessed, holy time. Pray for those by way of radio this morning and those by way of television. We ask, O oh Lord, that you have your heart of influence upon those and influence them in their direction in the peace that truly passes understanding. As you taught us all to pray, saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. At this time, Rabbi, if you would come, and Mike, if you'd come and prepare, and Rabbi's going to be sharing a little bit about the upcoming event. It's so good to see Mike. That's your much, much, much younger sister with us? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, Rabbi, would you come and you can either use the mic or the pulpit here, the 
side, um, whichever you feel more comfortable in, and Mike, you'll be prepared to follow suit. And if you're joining us by way of television this morning, um, scripture reading is going to be taken from John chapter 3, verse 16, and John chapter 15, verse 13, and 1 John chapter 4, 10. Rabbi. Yes, uh, we've been working pretty hard at getting this Passover together, Claudia and I, and we have, right now we have approximately 50 people that are probably going to come. We haven't heard from one or two groups that said they wanted somebody to come and share with us, but uh, so we're looking at about 50 people and possibly more. Uh, the evangelical preacher is joining us, and we have probably, and this is not firm yet, but it could be as many as 20 people coming from that church. We did our last Passover meal we did in the church was done at the EV Free Church. So most of these people have been through it. When we had talked to the pastor, he says, he likes come. And he said he's probably found 10 other people, and we already found five. And he said, no, they're not included in the 10. So we're looking at a pretty good group if they, if they do come. Um, I need to know uh, today we're looking at getting some of the menu together. And uh, oops, we have to have some hot dishes, we have to have some, some salads, desserts. And uh, fruit, grape juice, and this is like I say, it's everybody share. And we figured out, I haven't got all the figures down perfectly yet, but it's going to take about uh, between six and eight hundred ounces of grapefruit juice, or of uh, grape juice, I'm sorry. As we do, we do four cups during the meal. And so, there's a lot of food to be prepared. There's a lot of people that will want to come along. I have been uh, doing some studying on the Passover, and Dr. Daniel Jester is one of my mentors from years ago. And I'm reading his book right now on the parallels between the Exodus and the Passover meal. The Exodus was a local situation, just the Jewish people coming out of Egypt. The Passover that's coming up, when you look into it, it represents a worldwide Passover. Not just the Jews, but everybody on earth. The parallels are really very interesting. And they're there. Uh, I don't know if I have anything you want to share. Okay, I well, I guess that about does it. Uh, we need to find out who's going to burn what. And I do have a seven sheet with me today that I turned out a computer that people can now come with it what they're interested in. They're going to do a hot dish or a salad, or juice, or something like that, we'll get that down and get that going.
and descended into hell for all of us. God did that to Jesus for us, so we don't have to. That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Whoever believes and has faith in Jesus shall never taste death. Yes, our earthly bodies will die. But our spirit goes back home. We were with God before we were here, and we're going back to God and having Jesus. We will spend eternity in direct company with our loving Father God. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Christ successfully accomplished his torturous and holy mission here on earth, on our behalf. On John 4.10. This is the story about Jesus coming across the woman of the well. Christ knew this encounter would happen before him, but he still went to the well to meet her and to bring her to himself as her personal savior. John watered the well. Sounds like Middle East stuff, but you know what? It's a common everyday happening for them and for us. What this verse shows us clearly is that the Lord can come to us in everyday circumstances. Doesn't matter if we're cooking dinner or laying in bed or maybe putting uh, around with the car on, on a golf course in the kitchen on the couch. Everyday events is exactly where the Lord wants to have us. That's where we should have them. It shows how we can meet Christ personally in everyday routine life events. Samaritans, it was uh, significant that Samaritan, this woman was Samaritan and Jesus was a Jew. They didn't get along. And normally they already voiced each other to uh, avoid the contact, and so they wouldn't have any, any presence of each other. <coughs> the woman was surprised that Jesus would even talk to her, let alone go up to see Moshe that. And Jesus asked her a drink. That really took her back. Jesus even talked to Samaritans, or Samaritans even talked to Jews, I don't know how you want to put it. But she was at the well and this Jewish guy was there. And he asked her for a drink. The Lord's motivation for starting the conversation allowed the woman to realize that it wasn't just physical body needs that we need here on earth. It's spiritual needs, almost even more importantly, spiritual needs that need to be met. The living water Jesus spoke of and he talked about in that verse was a direct reference to the Holy Spirit. Now that verse, I think 513, not 15, but we'll go there. Jesus was in uh, Jerusalem for a festival, most likely the Passover. Prior, I don't know, you should remember this verse, but prior to it, it says a, a man, a lame man, a handicapped man, has laid at the wall. For 38 years, he just wanted somebody to dip him in the water. He's drawn back. He's afraid to ask anybody. 
So he laid at this well for 30 years, wanting someone to help him. But nobody did, because he didn't ask. The Lord approached him and said, Do you want it to be well? Kind of an obvious question, I think. And the man said he'd come to the pool. But he didn't, he didn't want to bother anybody by asking, asking them to dip him in the well, in the pool. Having the ability, members of the crowd managed to always beat him into the healing pool. Jesus simply said to him, Rise, take up your pallet or bed, and walk. So they said to him, Rise and walk. The man did so. This is great value for us to realize that the man was high for religion, not relationship. He was rejected because of his handicap. And when Jesus says, stand up and walk, that man had been laying in the wall for, for, for the pool for 38 years, realized this man is different. He took up his bed and he walked. The, uh, the elders and the other people around him didn't like the fact that he was carrying his mattress, I'll call it a mattress on his back, during the Sabbath. He said, who told you to do this? The Jewish leaders were worried because of what he had done. He was, he was doing effort and doing work on, on the Sabbath. But they weren't, the leaders that asked this question, they weren't worried about him. A lame man was walking, with a mattress on his back, half right bottom. They were worried about the religion. What a mistake. Never should anybody take religion over relationship with Christ. They didn't realize the tremendous miracle that Jesus had performed. The man was up walking with a mattress on his back. That one right. He said, hey, what are you doing carrying a mattress? This is Sabbath. They want to know who told him to walk. Not how he was walking. His aunt said that he didn't know who had healed him. Jesus remained anonymous, even this man. He faded into the crowd after him. He wished to remain anonymous, the Lord did, and not draw a crowd. Why? Because the time had not yet come. He had gone to the cross yet, and he knew that these elders and other people at, at the festival would see what he does. No, no, no. No, not you. You can't do this on the Sabbath. That was the conference. Thank you. Thank you, Mike, and thank you, Rabbi. As we look forward to uh, many events of this coming season, we uh, always look forward to God's Word, what God's Word has to say. And that helps us with our, our lives and the little puzzles that we experience in life. You may be joining us by way of television or by radio. This is all of the United Methodist Church in Robbinsdale, Minnesota. The emphasis on scripture this morning is 
John 3.16. I believe it was D.L. Moody that said he could take the first three years of his ministry and preach on this passage of Scripture. In the volumes of this Scripture, reveals to you and I for God. So loved the world that he gave his only son, so that everyone, you and I, who believe in Jesus, may not perish but have eternal life. Then in John's 15th chapter, John chapter 15, you hear it all of that day, have the numbers of the scripture, page numbers, John chapter 15, verse 13 says, No one has greater love than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. And then 1 John chapter 4, 10, 1 John chapter 4, 10, reminds you and I that in this, in this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his word to you and I. The last few weeks, and we've been talking about some alternative religions and by way of radio, we've been trying to incorporate with Pilgrim United Methodist and Oxion all of it United Methodist on, on 980 AM. And we've been just kind of saturating the airways with um, Luther Sem, Luther Seminary, one of, one of the um, outstanding professors of preaching of the United Methodist Church, Dr. Joy, is a United Methodist minister and she teaches classes at Luther Salmon and she um, shares with us too in, in groups and in one of the days of the week and we've been trying to bring everything together um, in preparation for the coming month of May when the church within the United Methodist Church kind of deals with some issues here at General Conference and there's so much up in the air because of the virus and, and we have some hundreds of bishops coming in throughout the world, throughout the world and lay delegates from throughout the world and we don't know for sure if this event will actually transpire. It's something that's been planned for years and it's a real honor for the state of Minnesota to have this event. Minnesota, and we're going to be, um, I've already um, um, said that we would make this pulpit available for one of the more evangelical bishops from Liberia that would come and share during that week. They'll be sharing um, um, a couple of Sundays and they'll be saturating the metro area. The only obligation we have is that we make arrangements to pick them up at, at the place that they're staying. We, we talked a little bit about here a few weeks ago about Buddhism and how the statue of, was knocked over at the position of that 
faith and that we as Christians believe that that God has no power. The statue of Buddha, if you've traveled a lot, you've, you've realized that there's a lot of forms of alternative supposedly paths towards God. He had just been sitting there for hundreds of years doing nothing for anyone. But today you and I, as we enter into the season of Lent, we know there's a difference between Christ as our Savior and our God. Jesus never falls over. Time and tide never affect Jesus. Jesus has that power to save and to keep to help us, to take us home to heaven. There's no puzzle to that. There's no pieces that we have to kind of be puzzled about to put that picture together. That power can never be shaken. Jesus' love, and I just read just a few passages of scriptures on Jesus' love, can never be shaken. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, John 3, 16, greater love hath no one than this, that a person, Jesus, lay down his life for his friends, John 15, 13. 1 John chapter 4, herein is her love, not that we love God first, but that he loved us and he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, to take our place. Now, does one say that God quits loving us? That God quits loving us when we sin? That is simply not true. God's love for us can never be shaken. Having loved his own, which were in the world, Jesus loved them until the end, according to John chapter 13, verse 1. Thanks be to God that there's no end to God's love for us as his redeemed children. Within the conflicts of the world, there's the, um, the fact of those who may criticize certain lifestyles in life. And in, in the center, there's the, those who pray for the change of the discipline and the change of, the, of, of certain things that are going on in the world. And then there's those who celebrate, actually celebrate the changes that occur. And I find myself not in those who celebrate that lifestyle or criticize, but I'm among those who pray, who pray. Here is a father, here is a parent who, who has a drunken son or daughter, and that son or daughter often probably presents trouble and often breaks their father's heart. And I belong to an Eight Ways Gateways group where I'm amongst eight to ten very evangelical ministers, and when they share their hearts and the difficulties that their children have occurred and continue to deal with, my heart just breaks for them as leaders of the church. That son or daughter often gets into trouble, often breaks 
their father's heart, but the father or the mother, the parent, keeps, keeps on loving them. Like you and I need to keep on loving those who may be in disagreement with us. But the father or the parent, the mother, as they keep on loving, however, there, there may be a limit, a limit to our human, our human endurance. And there may come a time when that father or that mother, that parent turns their back upon their son or their daughter. I can never imagine that, but I've seen that in many situations where that son or the daughter becomes almost a real prodigal and, and, and they haven't talked and they haven't spoken for, for months and years. But there is no limit. There's no barriers, no limit to the love of Christ. Jesus loves us in spite of our sin. Jesus doesn't love the sin. Jesus does not love the sin, but Jesus loves the sinner, as you and I should. I could tell you many battlefield stories that have broken my heart. Confessions of soldiers on the battlefield. One that stands out in my mind is that a soldier who was on the battlefield and he had his arm, his right arm shot off. And he recalled to me how he was bleeding, bleeding to death. And, and he saw a surgeon ministering to other soldiers. So he raised his other arm, his other remaining arm, and he cried out. He says, doctor, doctor, please. And the doctor came to him, bound up his wound, did all that he could for the man. And as the doctor was leaving, the man said to him, Doctor, doctor, what is your name? And the doctor replied, that doesn't matter. That doesn't matter what my name is. But the doctor said to the man, but doctor, said the man, I want to tell my wife and my children the name of the doctor, the person who saved me. I hear that again and again. You and I, we can attest to the fact that Jesus is the name. Jesus is the name who saved us, who saved us because he loved us, because he loves us. We want to tell the world about Jesus. We want to tell the world about heaven. We want to tell him about all the events of Holy Week. We want to fall at Jesus' feet and thank Jesus for giving us all of this unto the end. Now the purpose of Jesus can never be shaken. Jesus did not come into the world to teach only the great facts of life. Nor did he bequeath a new philosophy, nor only to introduce a new set of ethics. Jesus said of himself in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, that the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. 
That was Jesus' purpose, and the child of God can never be happy. You can, you and I, by way of television or radio or the listening waves, we can never be happy until we enter into this purpose, this dual purpose with Jesus, and, and we become a part of it, a part of his plan. One day, a boy was working on a jigsaw puzzle. Anybody like jigsaw puzzles? I hate them. I, um, all those pieces. But oftentimes when I go to nursing homes, they have these all these pieces spread out over these little card tables and they're putting together these jigsaw puzzles. And this little boy was working on this jigsaw puzzle and he, he had great difficulty fighting all the, the pieces that he needed until he found that on the reverse side, on the reverse side, was a picture of Jesus. It was easy for him to fit all the pictures together to show Jesus when he found that the picture on the other, on the other side was Jesus. Are you puzzled with life? Are you puzzled with all of the little bits and pieces, the little puzzle pieces? You may need to turn your life over and just view Jesus. Then get Jesus into the picture. Just realize that Jesus is working for you on the other side and you need, that you need to have no fear. You need to have no sense of puzzlement. That Jesus is working for you on the other side. You need not fear that Jesus is a great son of God and Jesus shall not be shaken. I feel deeply that we've entered into kind of a marriage relationship with Jehan. It's a, it's a wonderful relationship, very few relationships, church relationships, sharing church property work as well as Jehan. I hate, I hate to think about that divorce. I hate to think about that separation. God's church shall never be shaken. When we speak of Jesus' church, we do, we do not necessarily mean the building or the organization or the denomination. We, we speak of a, a spiritual body. Just as I don't believe any one of us would like to give up our homes or gift our homes to somebody else. Our homes have many memories and our spiritual home, this church has many memories. We speak of a spiritual body, the church, believers carrying out the program for world redemption for, and for God's glory. Jesus said in Matthew, the 16th chapter, the 18th verse, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We're gonna be facing some real financial challenges. You know, we found out just this past week with um, the road closure and, and they're building up the road and we gotta kinda of tear out that road and we've been assessed thousands of dollars in the neighborhood to repair that because this kinda of was a swamp at one time and many of you that used to drive by that house that kind of 
started out, I think, 23 years ago, perfect, but then it started to drop, dropped a number of feet, and I thought, how in the world are they going to recoup that house? One of America's most um, outstanding memorials is the Washington, Washington Memorial in our capital city. How many have ever visited the Washington Memorial? Quite an experience. I've been there in Washington, D.C. a number of times interviewing um, mental health professionals and chaplains. And I've been up to the top of that. You know, it feels like it's moving. You look at it, you know, and you get up there and go, wow, it's a kind of an interesting phenomenon. But the foundation, the foundation of that monument was sunk. Do you know how many feet that, do you recall how many feet that foundation, that, that struck me the times that I've been there and heard the guide share. Anybody remember how deep the foundation is? Deep the foundation of the Washington Monument. The foundation of the mon monument was sunk 57 feet. There's 57 feet, say it with me, 57 feet of rock. It, it contains some 81,120 pounds of granite and marble. Do you remember how tall it is? 555 feet above the earth. And there's supposedly very little fear of its falling simply because of its what? Firm foundation. 57 feet of foundation. Now the Church of Jesus Christ is one solid foundation which is Jesus Christ, it's, it can't be compared to the foundation of any monuments. It's, it's sunk in what? The rock of ages. Jesus is that foundation stone, and before the church fails, Jesus himself must fail, which is not going to happen. Jesus isn't going to fail. Until Jesus Christ returns, and I think there's many signs of his return for his saints, God will keep his church in the world. Now, this church that is made up of human beings may fail in many points, but the main battle she is waging is the ultimate conqueror. There is no day nor hour that God is not with his church and with God's ministers and God's people. Every church, um, can you confess to this fact, Master, that every church you serve, there have been people who have complained? Oh, we never had that much. <laughs> Oh, that's right, that's Wisconsin. <laughs> Wisconsin. Every church I've, I've served, there have been people that have complained about one thing or another. It was either the carpet didn't match the hymnals. Tremendous problems, you know. I remember when 
I even suggested that we have padded pew covers in here. There is opposition. Oh, that's far too expensive. And then one of my former churches said, we'll contribute to the pew cushions. They'll be free of charge. Then there was a complaint that, oh, they're going to um, muffle the sound. And I had sound experts come in and say, huh, muffle the sound? Sound is dependent upon the bodies, whether you have your windows open. And I'm not going to give labor complaints. I've always replied that I'm sure as other pastors have replied that if you or I were on a desert island and you organized a church with yourself as an only member, it would not be a perfect church. No, the church is made up of fallible human beings. It's not perfect, but the church will stand because Christ, Jesus, is her foundation and Jesus is the head. There are many, I don't know if um, Darwin and Marilyn realize this, but their property value increases because it's around a church. The property values of many individuals that have served, that have inhabited property around churches, their values are higher. They, there are many who realize that the value of a church in a city or a community, not only property values, but other values, they realize that it's, it's valuable in financial terms and in moral, in moral terms. The church is the salt, the leaven, the yeast, in family and in individual terms. But they, there are many around the church, within walking distance of the church. They leave it out of their lives and they reach high positions, they, they reach other pleasures and they, they make the money and they, they avoid the church. And they fail in the best things, the things that really count for all eternity. They, and in the end, their feet will slide downwards towards the pit. But the church will stand as a great legacy and agency in a dark world of sin. God's kingdom, God's kingdom shall never be shaken. Pharaoh, you read the Old Testament, the Pharaohs built kingdoms and they fell. David built a kingdom and it fell. Alexander, Caesar, Napoleon built their kingdoms and they fell. But the, these, these kingdoms have gone the way of the earth. But God is building a kingdom that will, will never fail will never fall. Socialism, Marxism, communism, with all their ideas have failed in the past and will continue to fail in the ways you try to polish them up. It's like clean, cleaning up a pig. A pig's always going to return to the mud. Well, what do we mean by a kingdom? What do we mean by a kingdom of God? His kingdom is is composed of all who belong to Jesus, all who have trusted 
They're all to Jesus Christ. The citizens of the kingdom of God are born again people. Of that kingdom there shall be no end. And when Jesus Christ returns to earth, Jesus will set up his millennial kingdom covering everywhere and everything upon earth and his saints will rule with Jesus in his kingdom. Now, when Napoleon was banished to St. Helena, he said, I built my kingdom upon force and it failed. But Jesus is building his kingdom upon love and Jesus' kingdom will last forever. Other kingdoms wax and wane, but God's kingdom can never be shaken. God's kingdom is of eternal purpose. I was visiting a school in a certain place and I will never forget what occurred at that school. And while speaking to the students, I, I held up an orange. To this day, whenever I eat an orange, I think of what happened in that class. I held up an orange and I asked the question, to what kingdom, to what kingdom does the orange belong? And one student replied, to the vegetable, to the vegetable kingdom. Then I held up a coin, a coin and I asked, what kingdom does a coin belong? And another answered, the coin belongs to the mineral the mineral kingdom. Then I said, what kingdom do you and I belong to? And the little fella answered, what do you think he answered? To the kingdom of God, to the kingdom of God. This little fella answered to the kingdom of God and I, I solemnly said that may God count all of us worthy to enter that kingdom, the kingdom of God through Christ. Now, you may be listening by way of radio or by way of television, but you're unsure of your relationship to Christ. Do you belong to the kingdom of God? Then you belong to the kingdom that will never be shaken, never be shaken. I have already uh, purchased some property, which I solely paid for. You know, 50 years ago, my mom and dad bought a, a lot at Pleasant Mound Cemetery. I've conducted services there for many, many years, Memorial Day services. I still remember mom and dad paid $80 for a lot that can handle three people. And I said, well, I, you know, $80 40, 50 years ago is a lot of money, but I said, I'll invest $80 a lot. Then I invested in kind of a tombstone. All paid for, ground. It's said that, that a great cathedral in Milan has three doors. And on these doors are the following inscriptions. All that pleases, 
is but for a moment. Can you finish that with me? All that pleases is but for a what? A moment. That's one of the doors. And the other door says, all that troubles, all that troubles is but for what? A moment. All that pleases is but for a moment. All that troubles is but for a moment. But the last door, the last door says, all that is truly important is eternal. Why then should we spend our days seeking the door of pleasure or the door of worrying, which are temporal matters? Let us give our lives to God's eternal things, the only things that are important. And I close with this illustration. Yesterday when I was in the office, Darwin came in, and I thought about the Darwin of evolution. And Darwin told of this, this marine, this marine plant which, which floated upon the surface of the water. In the roots of this marine plant reached down to the ocean's bottom, which was 150 feet deep below. And the storms would beat upon the flower and it was dashed about by the angry waves, but it continued to thrive. And it continues to thrive unharmed. Its secret was, was in the strong grip on the rocks below. Father, this morning, there may be those by way of television or by way of wave radio that they're, they're troubled, they, they're puzzled. Oh, oh, let us send our roots down deep and, and take, take a, a firm grip upon the eternal things of God. Then although the storms of life come and go, we, we shall stand because we are anchored, we are linked with God. With every head bowed and every eye closed and those by way of television and radio, may you say this prayer together. May you repeat this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, forgive my sins. I've sinned in things I've done and left undone. Forgive my sins, O Lord. Help me to be a part of your kingdom. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you said that prayer, and if you can kind of move it from your head to your heart, and, and may you bear fruits of that prayer. Let us turn now to our offertory prayer, and if you'd be so kind, and as the ushers come this morning and wait upon you for your tithes and offerings, would you pray this prayer printed in our bulletins? Generous God, our guide on the journey, as we continue in worship by offering our gifts in response to your goodness, we can't imagine where we would be without your guiding our path. Sometimes before us, sometimes beside us, sometimes behind us, nudging us in the direction of the work you have for us. As you have watched over and cared for your creation, so we acknowledge in our giving that we are calm in calling us to do the same. We surrender our treasure, knowing our hearts will follow. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 
As the ushers come this morning, let us turn to our offertory prayer. There is a balm in Gilead. There is healing in the name of Jesus. Purple hymnals number 375, please. 375, please.
For you are the God of, of power and love. We come to worship thee this day and in a great sense of anticipation to hear the music, to be fed by the word, to reconnect with family, but most of all to listen to your voice as it might, as it might speak to us in the silent moments. May your goodness and caring be affirming in the gifts we give and we worship as we come now to an end. We leave to serve, we leave to serve, to request those to come and join this company of believers. And may we hear the words of Jesus' voice standing and sending us out into the mission field. And may we listen and go in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Do get in touch with Rabbi and, and um, his daughter or his um, wife there. And um, ask those questions. Ask those questions that you may have. Um, this is um, quite a learning event. Um, Pastor, would you like to dismiss us in a word of prayer? Thank you, Pastor George Groves.